What's going on, everybody? This is Eric Elliott, founder of Refocus Nutrition at CrossFit Mirai, uh, and we are here with another episode of the Refocus Nutrition podcast. Uh, this week, we have on uh, my coach, uh, Cassidy Dixon. Cassidy is a member of the uh, Nutritional Coaching Institute, NCI team. She also is a nutrition coach herself at uh, IN3 Nutrition with Jason Phillips. And Cassidy... Cassie is also like where I met Cass was in Washington DC last year when I was doing my level one with NCI. Um, she is someone that afterwards I signed on with um, and was working with her one on one for six months as my nutrition coach, but also uh, she was overlooking and overseeing all of the clients that I was working with and making sure basically that I was doing everything right. Uh, she also helped in a lot of ways share my business um, and share how to improve the things within my business. Um, basically, I am the nutrition coach I am today because of what Cassidy helped me implement over that time period, uh, whether that was just through pushing me to, to pursue different things outside of my boundaries, like talking to other gyms, uh, doing more and more content. Uh, for those of you who are listening and are sick of everyday content, she's the reason why I pushed I pushed so much to get something on Instagram every single day for sure. Um, in this episode, guys, you're going to hear a lot from Cass about basically how she got into nutrition coaching herself. But further than that, you're going to hear from her about why it's important to take breaks within CrossFit, um, how we plan that, and how we plan out a year of our training more or less along with our nutrition because I think that's a lot of things that people don't look at necessarily and oversee for an entire year is how they should plan out their training so that they're periodizing their training at the same time that they're periodizing their nutrition so Cass is going to get into that within the next episode here guys I'm super excited to release this one and we have a couple more special guests coming on over the next couple of weeks so stay tuned for that as always leave a rating and a review uh, because this is going to help me grow the podcast get some sponsors on the podcast um, and share with more people so share this with a friend guys and take notes enjoy this interview and we're back guys with another awesome guest on this week this week we have Cassidy Dixon from Salt Lake City Utah uh, I think I have that right Cass you're down in Salt Lake <laughs> yes yeah that's just right uh, and Cass actually to back up a little bit where I met Cass was at my level one with the uh, at the Nutritional Coaching Institute in Washington DC I don't even know if we had actually like a lot of face-to-face -face time that weekend it just seemed like there was 48 hours that went and just flew by um, but over the, or the following, um, I guess it was six, six to seven months, uh, yep. Cass was working with me one-on-one -on -one as my business and coaching mentor. So she saw everything that I was doing, um, from a business side, but also a nutrition side and helped me know what I know. She's a nutrition coach with IN3. She's also, uh, working still with the Nutritional Coaching Institute and she, uh, is a former CrossFit Games teams athlete. So let's hear it for Cass this week. And when it comes to that, Cass, like what I know you have a lot of things going on. What's new <laughs> with you lately? Like, what are you up to these days now that, um, not to go too deep down the rabbit hole right now, but this is a, a different open experience for you this year than in years past. 
Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, I know that we're going to jump into this in a little bit, but I've competed for six years now. And this year, um, well, after last season, I just kind of my body, everything was just telling me that I needed a little bit of a break. So this is my first year in six years not doing the CrossFit Open and just chilling the F out a little bit. So (laughs) it's been fun coaching people through it and helping people with skills and fueling my clients through it. Um, And to be honest with you, I don't have FOMO as much as I thought I would just because like, I don't know, it's hard when you're, when your body's telling you one thing and your mind's telling you another, like you can't really ignore your body. So, (laughs) um, it's actually been a little bit easier than I had anticipated. Absolutely. There's no question about that. So, um, not to dive right into that right away, but let's back up a little bit into kind of your history and how you got into fitness. Cause I know you were, you spent time as an Olympic weightlifter and that's kind of how you got into it first. But I first heard of you listening to Jason's podcast, I think almost a year ago around this time, um, Mm -hmm. when you were talking a little bit about how you kind of grew up as a muscular girl. So tell me, I guess, how you grow up, uh, that way and how you got into fitness, whether that was weightlifting or just bodybuilding at the gym or how that came about. Yeah. So, um, when I was five years old, my mom put me in gymnastics class because I was a monkey. Like she could not get, <laughs> help me get rid of my energy. Um, I think I like had crawled like a, a six or like scaled a six foot fence and like crawled out of my yard at one point, And she was like, all right, you need to do some kind of activity. So, um, yeah, I, I started gymnastics and excelled at that pretty quickly. Um, but I am like a taller, a taller girl. So, Um, I ended up quitting gymnastics around the age of 16, but in the meantime, I competed at a fairly high level of gymnastics and just really kind of created this foundation for exercise and being an athlete. Um, And like I said, like from as long as I can remember, like my sister's friends and through elementary and middle school and high school, like I always had a muscular body, like um, like just biceps all the time. Like I have a picture of me when I was like eight years old flexing with like pretty ripped biceps. <laughs> so uh, like, I remember the boys in middle school would pay me a dollar to flex. And, um, I, I, back then I didn't really appreciate it for what it was. And, um, I was super, super embarrassed about it to be honest. And, um, but that's kind of where, like, I guess after I quit gymnastics when I was 16, you know, I had this void in my, time and in my life that I was like trying to find something to replace with the sport that I was doing for like four or five hours a day. So I got a personal trainer, um, started to work out at just like your normal, like Globo gym, Gold's gym, um, kind of took control of my nutrition. Like I I was definitely eating better, but like I look at back at that now and I kind of laugh at the things I was eating then. (laughs) Um, and then from there, like I, I leaned out, I was able to, I guess, manipulate, manipulate my body composition quite a bit. Um, I think I got down just by doing like easy, like four to five days a week bodybuilding my body fat. I got my body fat down to like 17% from 21 at that time. And I was 19 ish. And then someone introduced me to CrossFit and then it was just game over. Um, <laughs> I, I think I competed in my first competition, um, within like three months of starting CrossFit. And then the next year I was at regionals with SLC CrossFit. 
Wow, that's yeah, that's an interesting story of how quickly you get into it. Um, so you again, we talked about like you getting into CrossFit and things like that. Definitely going more into the competitive realm that way. How did you get into the Olympic weightlifting side of things? And tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so CrossFit actually came first, and weightlifting was just something that within CrossFit I was really good at, and I even before I had any like technique down, I was still like, it was pretty ridiculous. The things that I could still do again, like I look back on those videos and I'm like, what the hell, <laughs> how did that happen? Um, but it, it literally like all just kind of fell in my lap the way that Olympic lifting was introduced into my, I guess, into my sports. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, at regionals in 2000, 14, they had like a one rep max snatch for the teams. And I think I took second in the world on that event, like just for fun, like had no idea what I was doing. I hang snatch 200 and it was a big deal. Um, <laughs> so I had a, a weightlifting team reach out to me and they're like, Hey, we think you can make it to nationals. Um, you know, come out to DC, let's train together will teach you the ins and outs and get you prepared. So a couple weeks after regionals, I went and I had to qualify for nationals with, um, with just by doing one meet, like a sanctioned meet. So I went in, qualified for nationals with my first meet. I was that jerk crossfitter that went in and I think I powered both my opening, my openers <laughs> and qualified for nationals. Um, and then later that year in June was nationals and I went in and actually ended up winning it for my weight class in my second meet and was a national champion from there on out. So, and then I went back to CrossFit because I wasn't loving weightlifting. So <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of how it all happened. Yeah, that's a really interesting story. And it's one that I find interesting as a, from a nutrition coaching perspective because within within CrossFit, as you know, there's no there's no weight limit, right? Like, obviously, we know that you can't be 400 pounds and also be the best CrossFitter in the world. But to an extent, we don't have to worry about making weight for for a competition or for going to the games and things of that nature, nor do we want to, right? right? How, mm -hmm. do you, how did you juggle that in terms of, like, maintaining a certain body weight? And did you worry so much about that? Or did you go up into different categories based on prioritizing, I don't know, having enough energy for your CrossFit? How did you manage that? Right. Well, honestly, at that time, I didn't get a nutrition coach until the end of 2014. So I had already done two years of regionals with CrossFit and won the national championship. So I just kind of competed where I naturally sat with my mm -hmm. weight. And at that time, it was around like 148. Um, I, I think I weighed in two kilos under every meet that I did. And if everyone was like, Oh, you should compete as a 63 or fill out your 69 class. And I just couldn't, like, I, I didn't want to cut because I was already like relatively lean. I didn't have a lot to cut from. And I also didn't want to fill it out because I didn't want it to impact, like to affect my CrossFit performance. So that luckily is something that I didn't ever have to worry about. Um, because in my experience as a nutrition coach, I see how detrimental those two things can be if you don't just either, if, if you don't walk or if you don't walk around a little bit closer to where you compete at as a, as a weightlifter. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really good point too, that a lot of people don't necessarily know 
so much about because within CrossFit, like there's, you know, you get those people just as just as much, if not more, than me that wanna that wanna be light for a, you know a competition coming up in a month. But if they do that, they're not going to be putting themselves in the proper place to compete for that like they would with, with an Olympic weightlifting meet as well. Um, yes. So when we're talking about that and your nutrition journey, um, how did you get into nutrition coaching? Because I don't think that was your first career. So tell me a little bit about how you got into that realm. Yeah. Well, so nutrition coaching, I mean, literally everything in this like that I've I guess been doing the last couple of years came into my life because of CrossFit and super grateful for that. Um, but in 2014, one of my teammates, he was working with Jason as his, with his nutrition coach and was like, Hey, you got to reach out to this guy. He'll, you know, get cause after nationals, I was kind of wrecked, um, after going from regionals to nationals. And I was like, well, shit, like I'm destroyed. So anyways, I reached out to Jason, um, started working with him as my nutrition coach. I think he felt really bad for me and was concerned because he didn't <laughs> charge me a penny. And he was like, I just want to help you. Let's just do this together and get you feeling good to, just, to create some longevity for you as an athlete. So I started working with a coach and just like a lot of coaches out there, you see how much impact a nutrition coach can have in your life. And they, they help you change your relationship with food and you see food as fuel now to help you with your goals as an athlete in recovery and performance. And I, I had always had an interest in exercise and nutrition, of course. Um, but really just seeing it so applicable to just like a, a, a normal person. I, I don't know. It was just really, it just, was a huge impact in my life to work with a coach. And immediately, like I started to learn from Jason. I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, at the time I was working, I was managing a coffee shop and I loved it. I worked for a local coffee shop in Salt Lake for 11 years and I truly did love it. I loved my customers. I was super comfortable. Um, the hours were awesome. I was off by noon. Of course I had to wake up early, but, um, I had decided then that I, I wanted to take this challenge and become a nutrition coach and do whatever I had to do to get there. So luckily that's where Jason comes in. And, you know, I was able to learn a ton from him and just kind of master the art of coaching through my own coaching experience with Jason, but also being able to work with clients and just kind of move slowly into that direction. Yeah, for sure. I think that there's a lot to be said too. Like, yeah, coaches need coaches. And even if you're not planning on ever being a coach, I think that, yeah, for sure, even even some of the clients I've worked with after working with me, I know several of them have talked about, you know, wanting to go into coaching themselves because they see the value in it for sure. Oh, when, yeah. when you first got into uh, nutrition and when you first met Jason, what were some of the things that you were you were doing wrong or you had to change up? Like, because I know maybe you were in a really good spot and you were educated to start off with, but I'm sure I know that there's some people who are getting into the more competitive realm of CrossFit and are like doing things like keto or things that are just right. not going to be putting them in the right spot. So like, where did you learn? What were the big, like low hanging fruits that you learned right away? Well, I mean, I think like anyone else in this space, like everyone has an idea of what's healthy and what they need to be doing. Um, everyone knows what's good and what's bad with food. And that's kind of where I was at. Like I, I wasn't necessarily paleo, but 
I thought that in order to be healthy and to have to look like an athlete that I truly did have to eat just 100% like quote unquote clean. So um, I was mostly paleo. I think I still had some like grains here and there. Um, But I was also at the same time like working against some gut issues that I didn't really know how to address with food either. So I think one of the, well, one of the biggest mistakes that I, I know I was making was just under eating for sure. Um, I think the second to that was my nutrient timing. Like I literally had no idea how to do any of that. And it was just, I would eat when I wanted to eat and there was no pre-workout, no post-workout. I wasn't feeling my sessions. I was just kind of 100% winging it, especially with competition. I, I, look back on that and I'm like, I can't believe I would survive like a three day (laughs) regional competition the way that I was doing things. Yeah. And you, you mentioned a couple things that I wanted to kind of dig into a little bit. You, you mentioned the meal timing for sure. And like, I think that's one of the biggest things, um, that, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily matter so much if you're doing, uh, if you're doing bodybuilding yes, it would definitely, you know, carbs post post workout are always going to help for that. But Particularly with you, you mentioned that you were feeling, you know, pretty wrecked after that one season. Um, and I know meal timing makes a significant impact within that within the sport of CrossFit. So how did how did you change? Because I'm assuming you probably just weren't eating not like you said not only enough but not enough carbs post workout, right? So how did that change for you? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so ba- it was just basically like at first with Jason, he was having me do like two to one with my protein and my carbs. So um, I, I think I remember back then I was doing like, that's carbs and protein, right? <sighs> yes. Sorry. Yeah. Carbs and protein. Um, so I was doing a protein powder at that time and I was doing, I think raisins post-workout and some dry <laughs> cereal. And for me again, like that was, that was better than nothing, but still looking back on it, it's not optimal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of learned through the type of training that I was doing, you know, like during the open, I would go, um, like three to one with carbs and protein. So, and then other training days, if it was pretty aerobic and just like low key, then I was more, I was okay to do one-to-one carbs and protein. So I was able to kind of just learn like where I could put my food to really optimize the intake and, um, recover and perform. And in turn, even though like it's your, it's your normal, like awesome reverse story with me as Jason's client, like even though I was eating a lot more food, especially a lot more carbs, like of course my body composition changed and I got ripped just by changing my, the composition of my calories and adding more food and timing my carbs and my protein around my, my training sessions. Yeah, I think that's like, that's a huge thing that you talk about and you're, you're right. You are one of the lucky people that, that, did their reverse diet and it went in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. um, so talk to me, talk to me a little bit about that. How did we, how did you know you were under eating? Because I think there's a lot of people in this space within CrossFit specifically. I think it's better than, you know, it would have been maybe even five years ago and people are starting to educate themselves on that. But how do you mm-hmm. know that you were under eating? Like what did you feel like biofeedback wise? But two, just give people a sense of like, if you're competing, I mean, I'm assuming you were training, you know, one to two hours a day minimum, how many calories were you taking in? What were your macros looking like when you first started with Jason? Yeah, I don't exactly remember what they were first like when I started with him, but I know my intake, like after I had collected my food logs for him, that I was eating less than 1,700 calories a day. And 
I was training um, at least one time a day for about three hours or two times a day, like split with that, like an hour and a half each. So um, I I think right off the bat, we started with a little bit because it was off season for me. It was like in November, December time. Um, My carbs actually didn't start out that high. So I was a gram per pound of body weight, which put me around like 150. Um, My carbs were still right around like that 280 to 300 mark. And then my fats were higher around that 70, 75. So, but as we got closer to the open, um, those, my, my calories went up slightly, but my fats and my carbs slowly shifted. So as I started to introduce more glycolytic training with the open coming in, um, I would switch things around and that typically helped me with body composition too, ironically, just because my body, this is just kind of something that I think is more individualized, but my body responds better to like a little bit of a lower to moderate fat and higher carbs. So that was always something kind of interesting for me to go into like my preseason and see some positive body composition changes, of course, until the in season, which that never like no athlete is typically ever happy with their body in season. But <laughs> <laughs> talk to me a little uh, bit about that. Cause I think that's an important factor that I, I actually just gave a talk yesterday and we, and I was talking about the, you know, the whole triangle of awareness. And when you're in the middle of performance, body body like it just doesn't look the way that you would like it doesn't look the way that you would dream about per se but you're performing mm-hmm. you're performing as best you can right so how yeah. do you how do you juggle that mentally but also how do you coach that because i think those are are two competing but also same things right well to be honest as a client um mentally i didn't handle it i <laughs> I would talk to Jason, I would bitch to him all the time. And he would tell me, I don't fucking care. How did your open go? And I was like, all right, well, I qualified. So like, <laughs> he didn't care. He was like, but as a coach, and this is how I handle it as a coach too, is like, I keep their eye on their pri- on the prize. Like, Hey, this is temporary. You know, your goal is X. We've got to do this to get there. Hang in there with me. We've got a lot of time ahead of us. So that's just the, you know, and I do things like, take the scale away from clients if I need to, if it's really that big of a mind fuck for them or, um, you know, just find some different things that they can, they can focus on outside of their, the scale and the body composition that they're not super happy with. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I totally agree with you on that one. Cause like, I mean, Jason always says it like no, no CrossFit athlete who stands in the podium has the best abs and that, that's not why they're right. there. Right? So that's super important to yeah. keep in mind. Um, now that you mentioned like going up in calories and we went on your reverse, where did you start? Where did you stop with? Like where, where did you end up with it calorically in terms of how many calories you're probably taking in a day? Was it as high as 26, 2700 or you could even go higher than that? I was right around that like 25, 2600 mark. Okay. Um, ideally probably for me at one point, the way that I was training, it probably would have been beneficial for me to go higher. But like I said earlier, I've always kind of battled these GI issues that at some point it like it was it was doing more damage and it was good because I wasn't digesting or absorbing anything that I was eating because it was just so disruptive for me. So um, I always kind of had, had to balance my energy intake based off of how my GI was handling things too with like stress or 
um, just like if, if some kind of food interrupted it, like I always had to kind of play my calories based off of that too, which was always a little interesting. Yeah, that was actually where I was looking to go with that, was talking about um, how do how do you coach people through, you know, it's, it's not, your case isn't exactly that common, I wouldn't say. It's not, you know, not everyone has GI issues when it comes to increasing food. But at the same time, you know, you get a lot of, I definitely get a lot of clients, and I'm sure you get a lot of clients too, that when it comes to increasing calories, you know, if you get to be around that 2,300 calorie mark for women or even, you know, 29, 3,000 for guys, they want to keep everything quote unquote clean, right? And you're, you right. want to have everything really good and they're scared to have something that might have a little bit of sugar in it. I know, again, Jason or yourself would use examples like, you know, Travis Mayer who would prepare for games, he was eating upwards of 4,000 calories and you be damn sure it wasn't just it wasn't in chicken and broccoli for those 4,000 calories right so (laughs) um how do you juggle that and how do you get like how do you get people to see through the idea that it's important that you yes get your micronutrients in but there comes a point where you know too much fiber and too much vegetables on your gut is not a good idea to get that much in because it's going to subtract from training it sleep all that stuff Right. Well, we always say as a company, like it is like quality and quantity, like those things are always kind of like, well, they obviously come hand in hand. Like, I guess as a macro based company, like quantity is our number one goal with clients, but quality is a very close second. So I guess as an athlete, the way that I would toggle that is and, and the way that I coach too, is just to educate your client with like the season that you're in. So preseason and, and, and like during your season, um, qual- food quality is compromised a little bit. Like you have a lot of room with your macros to fit in kind of whatever you want. It might be that like, like that more flexible dieting approach where you're like, shit, I've got to fit in some like for me, like gluten-free bread or a gluten-free cupcake here and there, like just to kind of fill my macros. Now I didn't put quality on the, on the back burner, but I also had more room that I had to implement some of those like quote unquote unhealthy or bad foods into my diet. Um, and then the switch off of that, like post season and off season, like for me, it was just mostly quality based, like quality focused. And it makes it easier because your food's also lower. So it's not as hard to hit your macros when your food, when you don't have to eat as much and it's not as obnoxious. Yeah. I think that like you hit the nail on the head there and what you were talking about that I'm not so sure people who are listening to this will, will know so clearly is the different seasons and things like that. Um, because like you said, it should be segmented throughout the year where you have an off season, a preseason and you have like different parts where you're doing different things when it comes to you know your off season too I know this is one thing that Jason was super super big on last year when around May after the open post regionals for people who didn't make it uh to the games level was bringing up fats around that time to help with a lot of different things help the viewers kind of understand why we make that change uh after a competition season to help change things around for us and why we don't just go, you know, super high carb all year round. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess there's a lot of different reasons why you could do that, but Mm -hmm. if you're 
periodizing your training the way that you should be periodizing your nutrition, your training also shifts. So, I mean, just like you wouldn't be, you wouldn't want to be high carb year round. You also wouldn't want to be training like you're training for the open year round too. So, um, you, it naturally kind of happens that you can drop your carbs, increase your fats, um, repair hormones, repair CNS, anything that's been crushed over the last five weeks of the open, you know, redoing workouts two or three times for some people. I know I definitely did open workouts two or three times. Um, and it, it's, I don't know, I, for me, it's as much as like a mental break as it was everything I needed to do to repair everything that I had, um, I guess challenged or hurt during the open <laughs> and then get me ready for the next stage of like regionals or the games or whatever it was that was coming up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it, it keeps you, and we talked about it as well, but it keeps you flexible to different, different types of eating as well. Like you, you should be able to handle carbohydrates at a high level better when you're actually uh, spending some time doing lower carb eating and during your off season as well and just kind of recovering with that as well yeah. I know that there's a lot of people I mean one of the issues I see a lot is just people over competing and over training too much too right I think you probably see oh, that yeah. a lot as well um it, because like we talked about the you know the segmented periodized training but I think a lot of people run into this calendar where it's you know it's the open in February I guess in October in the future um yep. but even like this year is a is a kind of a shit show in terms of how we would actually, you know, periodize that because you, like I said, you have the open right away and then you have, you know, you could be doing sanctionals all the way through May if you were at that level. But even if you're not, there's a lot of people I'm sure that are doing competitions in May and June and then they want to, they want to cut for the summer. Right. Um, and then we have the open again in, in October how do we start to get around that? And what do you recommend from a coaching perspective? Like, should people just sign up for competitions in a certain order of their year and just ignore the ones at other times of the year? Or how do you get around that? Well, I think it comes down to the end goal. Um, like, if you are doing the open... I mean, honestly, I don't know why people, why do the open these days? Like, I guess for community and to have fun. Mm -hmm. um, but again, like that's just the competitor of me and being like, well, what's the point? But I think that the, I don't know, the only way to work around that is to just like, I would say to like maybe a crossfitter that was also doing weightlifting, like you have to prioritize what's important. And with that being said, they have to be spread out a bit. So I wouldn't tell someone if like Wadapalooza is important or vice versa. Like if the open was important, then they probably shouldn't compete at Wadapalooza. Um, you know, we have some time to get through and like repair and get you ready to go, but not a ton. And especially like, all right, well, what is after the open? If you want to do Wadapalooza, the open, so that would be January, March. And then maybe you want to do the Granite Games qualifier that starts in April. Like, yeah you know, looking at all those things, like it just, it, you're just like crushing yourself doing that. And then he, summer rolls around and you fucking want to cut, like what is important. So for clients like that, that are looking at competing and I totally get it. Like 
there a lot of these competitions now are just fun for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still have to look at over the course of the year, like what are our goals? Um, for instance, I have a couple of clients that were trying to do regionals for a long time. Um, obviously, that's not an option anymore. So now they're doing Grand Games Qualifier, and then they want to cut for summertime. So I've just set them up over the year of what that looks like. All right, here's the qualifier. Let's not do the Open. Let's not do Wadapalooza leading up to that. Granite Games is your thing. Uh, we're going to go through a five-week recovery phase after that, and then we can go in and do like a little cut for summertime, take you back out or take you back up in calories post-summer. Um, so I look at I, – I make clients plan out their – almost their entire year um, just in terms of events or goals, make sure that they align, and I make them prioritize what they want as well. Yeah. I love that approach too. One thing I wanted to ask you about too was that, you know, being that the open has, the open in the game season has changed completely. Um, basically, we have events from October all the way to the games in August, right? So we have mm-hmm. a month off now, a month and a half if you want to count the rest of August after the games. Um, how do you recommend people who are at that level try to try to navigate that? Do they, I mean, like, do you, do you only, segment a certain portion of it if not like i think in my opinion like if you're some one of those fringe athletes who did regionals before i think if you did the open in october and then you tried to do dubai and then you did maybe you did a couple of qualifiers and things of that in february and march and you missed the games that year you might be leveraging not only your length as an athlete but your your next year's ability to recover, right? Like in getting oh, yeah. things back that way. So how do you how do you navigate that? And are you personally, I guess, thinking about navigating that yourself? Um. Well, not not for myself right now. Um, I will be competing at some point again, but this year is definitely not the time for me. Mm-hmm. Um. It's, I mean, and it, it'll be interesting too. It just it, it ended up happening kind of. I don't know it. All of that made it easy to take this year off. I don't have a ton <laughs> of FOMO, like I yeah. said, because I'm like, no one knows what's happening. So, um, I mean, and looking at, like maybe next year is something to consider for me. But um, and you can will be able to kind of see and navigate and see what's best or where to compete. But I don't know. It's it's hard. I mean, I think a lot of those athletes that are at the top level and like competing as an individual um, at the games. I, I do think that they are genetically blessed in general. Like mm-hmm. they can withstand a, a lot higher amounts of stress on their bodies than a lot of the general population, or even just like even a, a regular high level athlete, like someone that was at regionals. Yeah. Um, but they're also like eating, sleeping, breathing the sport. I think that that's the biggest thing. Like, I think that, I guess with more of a direct answer to your question, someone that's wanting to do the games and then the open and Dubai and all of that, like a a high level athlete that is eating, sleeping, breathing CrossFit doesn't have another job that they, they, their job is basically recovering and training. It's probably doable for them to a degree um, with maybe not as much long-term effect as we think that it might have on them. Um, because again, like that's all they do is eat, sleep and breathe training. Um, for someone average. And when I mean average, I still mean like the top 10, like 5%. I, 
I don't think it's realistic. Yeah, I know. I couldn't agree more with you. And I think that, um, like, what you've done in terms of taking this year off was, was really smart just because, like, you can you can kind of just sit back and whether you're going to compete again or not, you can kind of sit back and, and learn instead of everyone else who's kind of having to run around with like a chicken with their head cut off and not really know it. And like, it's not their fault. They just, they have no idea what's, what's good. What, what sanctional is going to be the easiest to get through, which one's going to yeah. be hard, how it's going to be demanded, what programming. Like, we know nothing about a lot of these different sanctionals and things like that. So I think that was, it was definitely smart to sit back. One of the things I wanted to talk to you too about was before, before we're done is just kind of recovery with that. So for you, what does your training schedule look like now? And one thing I wanted to talk about too, how do you navigate people who, or people or even yourself of taking, you know, actual time off from the gym, like not lifting weights or working out or getting your heart rate over 145 at all? Because I know whether you heard the interview or not, I know Matt Fraser said in an interview that he took the entire month off before the Open, and 19.1 was his first workout back after a month. So whether oh, that's, yeah, I didn't listen to that. <laughs> whether that's true or not, even if he's just saying that, that's kind of, right. like, I think it caught a lot of people who listened to it. It's like, there's no way like a guy could be that fit and took a whole month off. But even if he took three weeks off, two weeks off, doesn't change the point. Why is it important right. to take that time off for recovery, and how do you how do you manage that yourself? Yeah, well, I fully believe that he took the month off. I will say that because it's the same thing that I tell my clients. Like, for most people, less is more. Like, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that to your general population. Like, if you're going and doing step class, taking step class out isn't going to be better for you. But like, as a CrossFitter, you know, when I was first getting help, I was doing stupid stuff with my training like I wouldn't have time to finish my training so with the blog that I was doing so I would roll it over and do it the next day and that training and then you know do a little extra Metcon because someone wanted to do one or something <laughs> and I became like worse as an athlete so it's just like you have to train smarter not harder um so I totally 100% believe that but um second to that like as far as recovery for training goes, it is a huge mindfuck for any CrossFitter to go into recovery mode. Mm -hmm. um, that is the one thing that, I mean, I struggled with it in the past. Well, even just like more recently, I was still, last summer I was still having fun and doing some, some fun like Metcons and, you know, lifting heavy and doing things like that. But I also... Um, I also had adjusted like my food and everything to that. But even going into this year, I think adjusting my training and just being realistic with what I needed to do to just feel good and move well and recover like I had anticipated to this year, it was a it was a big change. So for me, my training is no more than an hour and 20 minutes a day. Um, it's functional bodybuilding pretty much it's mobility. It's super chill cyclical work on the machines. Um, I have my heart rate monitor in the garage or the gym and I don't let my heart rate go anything over like 140, 145. That's yeah. the only way that I could monitor my heart rate. And that's typically a rule that I tell my clients like, Hey, if you're going to get into a class workout or if you're going to get on a machine, you need a heart rate monitor because I guarantee you don't know what 140 feels like. <laughs> 100% too. And like, 
you like speaking of what you said to your clients yeah you said that to me back in like October November (laughs) I was like I wasn't sleeping at all um whether it was just from like switching jobs or just training too much and the, the like the massive changes I kind of underwent in last year so I took a step back I wasn't doing any like it it sucked full disclosure it really sucked and it sucked to see the like to hurt the ego for sure in terms of not being able to do any CrossFit classes at the gym I was coaching at like that sucks like you're building yourself into a new community you can't even do the classes there and then not only that like it's it's just it's not as fun like I love doing a Metcon and and feeling that nice sweat right but like totally it it 100% made me better in terms of being able to sleep again um, getting energized so that I can head into 2019 and actually have everything kind of under control and can do CrossFit again, right? And I guarantee I will be back. I hope that my sleep and everything does not get as as bad, but 100% I'll be doing programming with Brian Borstein again, doing more functional bodybuilding like that because I believe that that stuff really works that you're kind of talking about. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I'm doing is I'm doing Brian's stuff um, and that's the only, like, I wasn't doing that before. And I was like, Oh no, I'll just go 85% on this workout or whatever. And I would be on the floor afterwards. So you just can't tell a CrossFitter like, Hey, go easy. If there's no like data to define what going easy means. So mm-hmm. like a heart rate monitor or like, honestly, just not being around people that push you, um, you know, like for instance, I did a couple of the open workouts, but I had to do it at home in my garage alone with no one pushing me. Otherwise, I knew that I would be in that like, like go mode and just destroy myself. So if you don't have those, I guess, metrics to to point to and say like, this means you're doing too much, like a CrossFitter is going to do too much. <laughs> 100% too. And like, you didn't get to be at the world-class level that you are in, in CrossFit by, by just giving it 80% in a workout. Like you, like when, when you're that good at the sport, you dump the tank and not in a, in a really good way. And I think that what you said too about like, you know, as, as much as it is, it is doing actually your workouts in isolation probably helped. Like I did something similar with with this year's open last year. I repeated every single workout until it literally put me in the hospital this year. Yeah. I did it. I did it on Sundays and I would not like, for the sole purpose that I would not be able to repeat again. Cause yes. like it's, it's, yep. it's just does not matter. Like yeah. the open, I wasn't, I didn't qualify for the games in case you were looking at the scoreboard. Um, <laughs> so only one other question I had to ask you Cass, and I don't, I want to be respectful of your time. So this is the refocus nutrition podcast. I always ask people kind of one thing that they'd like people or the nutrition industry or the fitness industry in general to kind of refocus on. Cause that for me, is why I got into nutrition coaching and CrossFit coaching as well. It's just because, like, for me, there's a lot of things that I would see, whether it's nutritionally or fitness-wise, that I was like, why we're missing the point here, we're missing something, or we're not doing the right thing, or we need to refocus on X, Y, or Z. So if you had to think of one thing that you want people to take away and try to refocus on themselves, what would you say that thing should be? Yeah, well, I think this will probably go in a little bit of a different direction that maybe other people, other guests, or, or that maybe you were intending. But I recently did a post on Instagram about this because it 
definitely like hits home for me. And it's something that I remind my clients of all the time. And I have to remind myself all the time, but like, and Brandy Wan, I know that she was a guest on your, on your podcast as well, a couple of weeks ago. Um, she's one of my, um, coworkers and we do coach summits every year. And one thing that she said last year that really stuck with me was like, when was the last time that you weren't pursuing weight loss or like an aesthetic goal? And I thought about it then, and this was a year ago. And just more recently, I've been thinking about like not necessarily being a high level athlete. Where do I need, where does my body need to be? What does my body need to look like? What's realistic? And naturally, I was like, I am not happy with the way that my body looks now that I'm not an athlete. And I kind of thought to myself, I was like, fuck that. Like, I have literally been pursuing the way that my body looks and then trying to change things and manipulate things my entire life. I've never had a break with that. So I think if there's anything that I can, I can give people to take away and just think about is like to be genuinely nice to yourself and give yourself a fucking break once in a while. Like you don't always need to be pursuing the next best version of yourself as far as aesthetic goes, like you, it's okay to give yourself a break and just be happy with things because typically if you're happy and content with things, the rest will come. But, and if you're chasing this, like this goal that you think you need to be a certain way to be happy, you'll likely never be happy. Even if you do achieve it, (laughs) if you, if you chase something driven by negativity, so that's kind of my big takeaway on that for your listeners. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more too. And it's like, you're so right. Like what, if you keep chasing that thing and you're like Brandy said, and like you said, like there's never, it's never ending. You're, you're always going to want to be leaner. You're always going to want to be more muscular. You're always going to want to be more and more and more. Right. So I couldn't agree with you more uh, in terms of that. Like just wanting, we're naturally want more of everything. Like, even if it's finances, I want to be, I want to be earning more than this. And then you get there and it's more than this, right? There is something to be said about being happy with where you're at. Um, but still, you know, pushing yourself and still trying to develop yourself as well. That's mm-hmm. everything from this week, guys. Uh, thanks so much for Cass for coming on. Where can we find you online? I know, uh, over the last couple of days, I've been just following your Instagram story and laughing at some of the shit you post too. So uh, I want to give people who are listening to this a chance to follow you as well. So where do we follow you? Yeah, yeah. Um, so my Instagram is Cassidy.Dixon underscore. Um, Facebook is just Cassidy Dixon. And those are the only two social media handles I have. But um, I'm, I'm most active on Insta. I've been posting a lot lately. I like to just kind of I like to keep it light and funny and just truthful and uh, genuine as, as genuine as, as I can. So, <laughs> yeah, I can vouch that she definitely keeps it light and funny uh, on her stories. So definitely check those out. Thanks so much, Cass, for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me.